the wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God, eternal Father, Prince of Peace. He has come, and that's why we are here as the Church of Christ. And in the light of His coming, one of the, the questions that God's people had to deal with is uh, how, how do we now look at the law that the Lord has given us in the light of the coming of this Son? And Paul writes about this in uh, Galatians chapter 3. And we will read uh, part of this chapter as we uh, prepare for studying the question of uh, God's law from uh, the Catechism. So we will first read from the Word of God, Galatians 3, verses 1 through, or sorry, verses 10 through 29. Hear now the Word of God. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed... No one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abram and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. 
For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So far we read from God's word. We now turn to uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 2. You can find this on page 518 of the Book of Praise. In Lord's Days 2 through 4, the Catechism will explore briefly the biblical teaching about our sin and our misery because we are sinners with the purpose of course to bring us closer to Jesus Christ to show us just how much grace the Lord has given us in saving us and so we begin this section of the catechism in Lord's Day 2 from where do you know your sins and misery from the law of God. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in, in a summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Can you keep all this perfectly? No. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, what do you need to know in order to live and to die in the joy of the comfort that you belong to Jesus? That was the question of the catechism in Lord's Day 1. And its answer was, first of all, I need to know how great my sins and misery are. Only if we know how miserable we would be without Jesus, we can truly appreciate why we need him and how wonderfully he saves us. And that is why Lord's Days 2 through 4 focus on what is wrong with us. And that may seem a little depressing. Wonderful question and answer, one in the catechism. What's your only comfort in life and in death? Should we now immediately tackle this, this dark topic? Do we really have to feel bad about ourselves? But the Catechism is right. The glory and the grace of Jesus our Savior shine all the more if we recognize first the darkness 
from which he rescues us. And so Lord's Day 2 asks, from where do you know your sin and misery? And the answer is famously the shortest answer in the whole catechism. Um, this is the question answer the catechism students never mind memorizing. From where do you know your sins and misery? From the law of God. That's it. If you want to understand how much Jesus has done for you, how much he has forgiven you, from how much misery he has rescued you, the one thing that you need to study is the law of God. So that's what we'll look at today under the theme, the law of love. The law of love. We will first see the requirement of the law, second, our keeping of the law, and then third, briefly, God's purpose of the law. So, what is God's law? Perhaps uh, the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you what is God's law is the Ten Commandments. This morning it said in the liturgy, Law of God, and we read the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are special, of course, because God Himself spoke these words from the mountain to His people Israel. They directly heard Him speak. That happens nowhere else in Scripture. And then He wrote them on stone tablets with His own finger, says the Bible. These Ten Commandments give general, practical, moral guidelines. It says don't serve other gods, don't, don't murder, don't steal and so on. But you have to realize that the word law in the Bible often has a much broader meaning. It's not only about the Ten Commandments. The Hebrew word for law, probably known to you, Torah, that simply means instruction. Anything that the Lord teaches is technically law, is His law. And especially when he teaches about his will for our lives. So the Ten Commandments are part of that. They summarize important principles of God's will for our lives. But they are not the entire law. They are not even the heart of the matter. What is the heart of the matter in the law? What are the most basic principles that God teaches us? Well, you know, that's a very good question that they asked Jesus when he ministered. Someone came to Jesus and says, Teacher, simple question for you. What is the great commandment in the law? In other words, what is the heart of the matter of God's will for our lives? Which of the Ten Commandments would you pick, Jesus? And Jesus gave a famous answer. In Matthew 22, and the Catechism quotes that um, in, in uh, its entirety in question and answer 4. Jesus says, the heart of the matter, it's not one of those Ten Commandments. It is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So according to Jesus, there are two equally important principles behind all of God's instruction to us. Both principles are about love. Loving your God. Loving your neighbor. Now, Jesus did not come with something completely new here. This was not a new teaching. Moses had already proclaimed the importance of love to God's people. In fact, our Lord Jesus here merely quotes Moses. The first quote that Jesus gives is from Deuteronomy 6. After Moses had reminded the Israelites of the Ten Commandments, as we just read earlier from Deuteronomy 5, Moses continued on behalf of the Lord by saying these famous words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You, sh you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, follow the instructions of the Lord with all that you are from the core of your being. Let His teaching pattern all of your lives. His instructions must permeate our home life, our working life, the education of our children, and the life of our whole community. Our thinking, our speaking, and our doing should be done for Him out of love and respect for Him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. So that is a teaching that, that Moses already gave on behalf of the Lord. And Jesus repeats that as the first and great principle of the law. Love the Lord. And then Jesus' second answer is also quoted from uh, Moses' teaching in Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, verses uh, 17 and 18. In that chapter, the Lord gave the Israelites detailed instructions about how to deal with other people. Basic teaching and how you deal with other people. And you know from experience, I think, that that's not always easy. So it is good to, to receive wisdom about how you deal with people who can be difficult. So Leviticus 19 tells you, don't abuse other people, but treat them with fairly and with respect and decency. And then in Leviticus 19, verse 17, the Lord says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And again, 
This is not just about what you physically do to other people. This is about our whole attitude toward people in our lives. God wants our interactions with others to be driven by love and respect, care and consideration. And I like how that verse ended, right? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You don't just do it for yourself or for the other person. You do it because the, it is the Lord who instructs you to live your life in this way. And so Jesus quotes that too as the second great commandment, which is no less than the first. And so, according to Jesus' answer to the question, what is the main principle of the law? The heart of the matter is love. And not just in the wishy-washy sense that it's often used in modern culture. It's not just a feeling, right? It's, it's love that shapes our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, and our deeds. When Jesus formed a new community around him of disciples, the community that would grow into the church, he told them, a new command I give you. What was the new command, the key command that Jesus gave to his community of disciples? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's John 13, verse 34. Jesus said that right after he washed the feet of his disciples. A new command, says Jesus, but at the same time it is also an old command. Because this was always the point of God's law. This has always been God's will for human life, a life of love. So what does God's law require of us? If we actively love the Lord and show love to others, then we are doing what we are made for. But if we don't love, if we fail in these things, then that is sin. And this is how, from this law of love, we know our sins and misery. Because it helps us recognize where we feel in living this life of love for which we were made. Our problem, you see, is that we do not keep the law of love. We easily slip into an attitude of not loving God and of not caring for others. And sometimes that attitude grows into full-fledged hatred in our thoughts and then in our deeds. So the Catechism says it very bluntly in question and answer five. Can you keep all this perfectly? No, I cannot keep all this perfectly. I can't. This is true for all of us. It's true for every human being who lives on earth. Now, sure, there are some people who violate the commandments more blatantly than others do. Some people openly hate God and some abuse other people openly. Many other people seem to be quite decent. But 
nobody has the perfect love and wisdom and motivation that you need to fulfill God's law of love completely. After the flood, when Noah and his family left the ark to make a fresh start of mankind on earth, right? God had removed everybody from the earth because of the terrible lives they lived. Only this one family, uh, Noah, who was a righteous and blameless man, says the Bible, they leave the ark to start anew. Better this time? God said, right at that moment, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's Genesis 8, verse 21. Psalm 14, just to give you one other example, describes how the Lord looks down from heaven to see if there is any truly righteous person. And what does the Lord conclude after investigating? Is there anyone under heaven who is righteous? They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does God, not even one. Psalm 14, verse 3. And I don't know exactly why it is, but this psalm is actually twice in the book of Psalms. Psalm 53 is almost the same as Psalm 14. Surely there is, this is not an accidental sentence, right? No one is truly good, not even one. When Jesus was preaching, a man came to him and asked, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus then first pointed this man to the Ten Commandments. All these I have kept from my youth, said the man. I'm actually pretty good at Ten Commandments. Then Jesus pushed deeper. One thing, you're still missing. Sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor, and then you will have a treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And in that statement, Jesus showed how radical it is to perfectly love God and others. And this man was no doubt a very devout follower of God. He could not do it. And what did Jesus' disciples say after this, this young man walked away sad? They said to Jesus, but Lord, if this is how it is, who then can be saved? And Jesus agreed. He said, it is impossible with man. You can read that in Luke 18, verses 18 and following. It is impossible with man. It is impossible for people to fulfill the requirement of perfect love. And we'd better face that. Not make excuses. Not think we are the exception. The Catechism wants us to embrace that truth personally. That's why it asks this question five so personally. Can you, can you, can you keep all this perfectly? And your answer should be no. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. This is not about other people. It's not how about other people always seem to disappoint. This is about you and this is about me. Can you keep all this perfectly? No. On my own, I am 
a failure. I will be a failure. On my own, I cannot live the life for which I have been created. On my own, I cannot find true happiness and comfort. That is how I know that I need a Savior. Yeah, and then that line, right? I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. My failure to keep the law of love is not a random fact. It's not a fluke. It is something that's deeply ingrained in me. There is a constant inclination, a constant push from deep inside me to do the exact opposite of what God tells me to do. My disrespect for God and my selfishness in dealing with others is not an accidental thing. It's a natural pattern for me. That's what we say in answer five. I'm inclined. The catechism even uses the word hate. That's a very strong word. Right? We like to say, well, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm still a sinner, so I don't love God perfectly, and I don't treat people... Don't, don't expect me to be perfect, okay? But the catechism teaches us to say, actually, I'm inclined to hate God and to hate people. But we must recognize that this is where our inclinations lead us. If we give in to what comes to us naturally... We will not merely lack love, but we will slide further and further in the opposite direction, in the direction of outright hatred. And so we summarize all this by saying that we have a sinful, a corrupt, or a depraved nature. That's uh, the word answer five uses here. I'm inclined by nature to hate. The Catechism is going to explore this more in question and answers uh, 7 and 8. But for now it is enough for each of us to make an honest assessment of our lives. In the light of the law of love, we have never perfectly loved God and others. Our hearts are quick to hate. Do you think that if you try harder, it may be better? Well, maybe there may be some improvement. It's never bad to try not to hate but to love. But we will never reach perfection on our own strength. Can you keep all this perfectly? No. I'm inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. So, that's the teaching of the church, teaching of the Bible. Isn't that a depressing message? People often think of us Reformed believers as, as stern and dour people. We have such a pessimistic view of people, don't we? Such a pessimistic view of humanity. Shouldn't we look for the good? But the goal is not to make us depressed. The law is not meant to beat us down. The law is meant to show us our weakness so that we stop trying to save ourselves. It shows us accurately what we are like so that we look for some things, for someone better. The law must drive us 
to Jesus Christ. In the form for baptism that we will read the Lord willing this afternoon, it is said beautifully that the water of baptism signifies the impurity of our souls so that we may detest ourselves, humble ourselves before God, and then seek our cleansing and salvation outside of ourselves. That's the purpose. And that's not just the focus in Reformed churches. The Bible shows us that this is the purpose of the law. The Apostle Paul wrote much about this, uh, especially in his letter to the Romans and his letter to the Galatians. For instance, Romans 3 verse 20. By works of law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And of course, that verse what underlies the, that answer in the catechism, right? From where do you know your misery? From the law of God. That's taken directly from Paul in Romans 3. And then we also read in Galatians 3, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And then uh, Paul uses a figure of speech. He says, the law was our guardian, our tutor, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, what we read in Galatians 3 that's not an easy passage. But I would encourage you to study it and, and try to understand the argument Paul is making there. From that passage we learn, first of all, that we should not expect to become right with God by our keeping of the law. The law cannot give us life. We cannot make God happy uh, by trying to be super obedient we cannot earn the glory of heaven by our own good behavior. The second thing that this passage shows is that the law was always meant to bring us to Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul used that word guardian or tutor. Uh, the Greek word is pedagogue, a child leader. Um, in, in the culture that of the New Testament, a uh, tutor was a slave who took care of children until they were old enough to make their own decisions. So the parents would employ this tutor and say, you take care of the kids. Um, and that's an interesting situation, right? Because legally, the children would be of a higher status than that slave. They had free, free children. The slave was only a slave. But as long as they were children... It was very clear, you do what the slave says until you're old enough, until you're an adult and you can make your own decisions and you can tell him what to do. That's the picture that Paul uses for the law. As a guardian, as a tutor, the law is, is temporary and will be in effect until we find new life in Jesus. And so ultimately, the law of God is all about Jesus Christ. 
what the law says in words, Jesus showed and lived out in person. He showed what it means to truly love God and others. You can't even say that Jesus Christ himself in person is the love of God. He is, as Paul writes, the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Romans 10 verse 4. Jesus Christ is the end and the purpose of the law for everyone who believes. And so to conclude, our only comfort is that we belong to Jesus Christ. The law of God shows us why this is the case. It exposes us as miserable sinners because we cannot live the perfect life of love for which God has made us. That's how we get to know our sin and our misery. So how do you respond to that? Do you try to wriggle out? Do you claim, well, it's not as bad as all that, is it? Do you still think that God can be happy with you just trying hard? Do you think maybe that God can be happy with a little less than perfection? It's uh, interesting. Uh, a few years ago, uh, it's been 10 years ago by now, but um, someone did some, uh, a large survey among um, older youth in uh, North America, asking them, so what do you believe about life and about God? And this was a survey among Christians, secular people, Jews. Turns out many, many people, even in the churches of the younger generation, all believe the exact same thing about God. He just wants me to try my best, and then he's happy with me. Right? And, you know, if I need him, then I'll call him, but otherwise I don't bother with him. And, uh, yeah, if I just try my best... But that's not what the Bible teaches us. And that is why it is good that we, we repeatedly study the, this summary of the teaching of the Bible. Can we keep God's law perfectly? No, we can't. And yes, it matters that we can't. And that's exactly why you want to be a Christian, why you want to be connected to Jesus Christ the Savior, because you cannot do it. On your own. The only right response to the law is to recognize your sins and your misery and your inability to earn your own salvation so that you get to that point where you pray, Have mercy on me, miserable sinner that I am. Look, if the Apostle Paul could pray that, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Romans 7, then you can pray that too then you will understand, once you get that, then you will understand how wonderful it is that you may belong to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, instead of just belonging to yourself. Because He has put an end to the law by fully paying for all your sins. Amen.